0: This morning we have a real privilege, we have guests from Hong Kong, and I'm going to allow Paul Mayhew to come introduce our guests from Hong Kong this morning. Paul.
1: This morning it is a great uh, privilege and honor uh, for me to have our very dear friends, Isaac and Lydia, Uh, and Cantonese is something like Liu and Mandarin, which I speak is Liao, as their last name, L-I-U. Is, uh, so when you can meet them after the service, uh, Isaac and Lydia. And uh, Isaac and I have known each other since 1984. When I went to Hong Kong in 1984, their home church, which is called Mingji Church, they invited me to be the assistant pastor. And Isaac is the first church member of that church. It's the first Church we, that the Conservative Baptist planted in Hong Kong, and he's the first member, the first baptized member. He became a deacon at 21 years old. So he's been a church leader since he was 21 years uh, old, and now he's just a little bit younger than me, but he looks much younger than me. <laughs> and uh, we have done ministry things for many, many years. Uh, my C, the CMS ministry that I do up in China, all of the training and that. I am the director of that board. He's the vice director. That everything that we do, we do a lot in tandem uh, together. uh, It's a very wonderful privilege to have him. And this morning, we've asked him to come and share his testimony. And it will be a bit about his salvation testimony, but a lot will be a bit different. So he has a message from the Lord to share with us. So Isaac, please come and uh, have freedom to share with us, please.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be here to attend the Sunday service at Grace Point Church today. It's my honor to give my testimony here. Uh, I'm now a retired high school principal, so this is my uh, vacation here. <laughs> I was a Jovi teacher and have been a high school principal for the last 17 years. I have two sons. They are all married. And I also have one grandson and one granddaughter. Okay. Thanks God. My two sons and my two daughters-in-law are devoted Christians. And they are also lay leaders in the church. It is God's grace. And today, I'd like to share about uh, God's grace on my Christian life in the last 60 years. But I may be (laughs) short in several minutes. Um, I will divide divide my Christian life into three stages. The first stage, from a non-Christian to to become a devoted Christian. The second stage, from a devoted Christian to become a local church leader. And the first stage from a local church leader to become the Lord's servants, to preach and teach God's words, as well as to lead the church development. I must mention that the development and the growth of my whole Christian life are the grace of God. I've I have just walk on the way that God has provided for me. It was totally not due to myself. All are God's grace. I think it's very uh, surprising when I attend the church. Oh, this church is a Grace Point Church. And today I share this t- testimony, the testimony, the, the, the title is All are God's Grace. Okay. I was born in Hong Kong. My parents were not Christians. When I was sixteen years old, I first attended the Christmas service at Mengate Church. Why I attend that service? Just one reason. I was boring that time. So I think, okay, Christmas time. Go to the church. Maybe better. So I attended church. And that Christmas sermon attracted me, continuing to attend Sunday service. And half a year later, in 19, 1972, June 4, I was 70 years old. I was baptized. And I was the first church member of Minket Church. (laughs) So I think this is God's grace. I became a Christian when I was young. When I was 19 years old, studying in the university, I made a decision. I decided to follow Jesus Christ with my whole life. And I decided not to be a Sunday Christian, but to be a committed and devoted Christian in the church. So, in one summer, I spent two months to read through the Bible, book by book, from Genesis to Revelation. And also I started a youth fellowship in the church to promote gospel and to train young people. Young people means high school students. So by God's grace, I, God. I decided not to be a Sunday Christian because you know that many, many Christians are Sunday Christian only. And I hope, I want to be a devoted Christian and to serve the church with my strength. So this is the first stage of my Christian life. When I was 21 years old, in May um, 17, uh, 1976, Mingy Church became an independent church, and I was elected to be the chairman of the first board of deacons. Of Main Gate Church. So very young, no experience, but this is God's grace. This God's grace, I was willing to be the leader of my church. At that time, Main Gate Church had just 20 church members in 1976. And then from 1976 to 1990, within these 15 years, Mickey Church had a rapid growth. The church members increased from 20 in 1976 to 250 in 1990. And during these 15 years, I was the chairman of the Board of Deacons. So, it's God's grace. Let me participate in the process of church development in Mingay. And then uh, our church tried to uh, have some daughter churches. And at that time, and at this moment nowadays, we have, uh, besides Mingay church, the mother church, we have four other uh, daughter churches. And these daughter churches, they are all independent. And this is the second day, second stage of my uh, life, my Christian life. And then I go to the third stage. When I was 34 years old in, in 1989, I decided to go to the Bible school to study theology. I, uh, I memorized that at that time I was taught with Paul whether I would be a full-time pastor or still a high school teacher. I thought that as a church leader I should understand God's word more deeply and widely. To study theology, I thought, is a good way to help me. Firstly, I did a part-time diploma in Christian studies in China Graduate School of Theology in Hong Kong from 1989 to 1991. And then, I spent one year I went to Canada, Vancouver. I did a full-time Diploma of Christian Studies in Regent College from 1991 to 1992. So it's God's grace. Let me study theology, both in Hong Kong and in Canada. And then when I finished the study, I go. I went back to Hong Kong. I still continue to be a high school teacher. And, but my ministry in the church was changed. I was elected to be the chairman of the Hong Kong Consular Baptist Church Association, as well as I was appointed by several CV churches in Hong Kong as their church advisors. My major ministry in the church was to preach the gospel in the Sunday service and to teach biblical courses, for example, Christian ethics, uh, uh, theology, etc. So this is also God's grace. I could serve the CB churches in Hong Kong by preaching and teaching God's word because of when I examine my ability, because I'm a high school teacher, I like reading Bible, so I think the teacher ministry is suitable for me. <laughs> and also by God's grace, I could participate in leading the Hong Kong CB Church Association for the last 25 years. During these years. I systematically learned God's word. Read theological books, read spiritual books, deeply studied the Bible book by book. I found that I still need more time to understand the Bible. And I still need to seek God's wisdom. So this is the third stage of my Christian life. How about the last stage? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Because uh, I read so many books. Many books talk about the growth of Christian life. Usually, many Christians at the early stage, okay, very good. Step very good and then uh, grow very good. But, can I finishing well? It is a great problem. So now now I'm just 60 years old. What will be my Christian life in the next stage? What will be my role in the church in the next stage? What aspects in the Christian faith we need to learn which aspects in the church ministry we'll need to develop and participate. So I've used now I'm using this year to think and to seek God's will and guidance. I pray that. By God's grace, I can find the way of God. By God's way, I can walk on the way of God during my last stage of my Christian life. I prefer to finish well. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you so much, Isaac. That is such a key. For all of us is the plan and the intentional about finishing well. So thank you for that testimony. Uh, Don and I had the great privilege uh, when we were in Macau in 2012 of meeting Isaac at the 25th anniversary there in Macau. And then we got to meet Lydia this morning. And we are privileged to have you here. Thank you so much for coming and visiting us. And we very appreciate it very much this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, as we look into your word in these uh, minutes that we have, we pray that uh, my words would be clear and concise and that you would speak uh, through your servant uh, the truths of your word and that uh, they would be accurate. And Lord, we pray this morning that your holy spirit would use this time in each life here, Lord, that uh, we would be transformed and that Lord we would have a joy and anticipation and a recognition of your grace and mercy. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. What did you learn this week? How did your knowledge increase? What did you do with what you learned this week? Uh, I have a good friend who every time we get together, his first words are, what do you know and what do you say? And I always respond, I know less and less And it is better, like Mark Twain would say, it's better to keep one's mouth shut and appear stupid than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. Uh, But what did you know? I learned some things this week, not uh, life-changing necessarily and not real dramatic, but I did learn a few things. I read about a West Virginia man who was in jail who wove a rope out of dental floss and escaped by hanging it out the window. I wonder if they didn't get tipped off when he kept asking for cartons and cases of dental floss. You really wonder about that one. I also learned that a kangaroo can jump a pile of lumber that's 10 and a half feet tall and 27 feet long. That's about the length, width of this room almost. So remember that next time you go to the lumber yard. Watch out for kangaroos, I guess. And if you're familiar with Surfer Magazine, I'm not, uh, but Surfer Magazine... There are only two subscribers in Saudi Arabia. So you wonder about them. They've got some great dreams, I guess. Uh, There was an Englishman named John Evans that I learned. He kept 66 bricks, uh, weighing a total of 296 pounds, balanced on his head for 10 seconds. A world record. So if any of you aspire to make a world record, why don't you do 67 bricks? Uh, That might do it. Also, I learned that in Iceland, Iceland consumes more Coca-Cola per person than any other country in the world. Iceland? Really? Coca-Cola. And uh, this one I kind of knew beforehand, but here's the statistic. That Heinz ketchup, when you turn the upended bottle, when you're trying to shake it out, when it's pouring out the mouth of that bottle, it travels at the average speed of 25 miles per year. So... (laughs) So we know that. And then there's one more thing that I learned this week, but I'm going to show you. I have a little video clip, if someone would catch the lights. I have a little video clip of what I learned from one of our presidential candidates. I'm the product of Christian education. I'm a graduate of Second Baptist High School in Houston. There are good things and bad things you learn from that. One of the things I learned, which you may not know, is that the song's Amazing Grace and the theme from Gilligan's Island are musically interchangeable. (laughs) Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. (laughs) That particular insight was told me when I was a senior in high school by the son of what was then the president of, of Houston Baptist University, HBU. I'll let you decide whether that's a good or bad thing you learned. <laughs> I did not know that, so some of you may have known that. That's what I missed out on, on a Christian education in high school, I guess. Uh, but And by the way, I'm not endorsing Ted Cruz, but... I do believe presidential candidates should be able to recite the words of Amazing Grace. I think that would help quite a bit. So uh, those are some things that I learned this week, but yet there is far more important things to learn. If you take your copy of Scripture and turn to the letter of 2 Peter, 2 Peter. If you were with us this last year, you know we went through 1 Peter before we took a little break into the Psalms, and now we come back to 2nd Peter it's only like uh, two and a quarter pages long in my bible but the letter of 2nd Peter Peter is writing about 60 between 65 and 66 64 and 66 AD he was martyred in 67 AD and so this was his, probably his last written work his last letter to Christians uh, that he was addressing here So if you would uh, take your copy of Scripture, I'm going to read the beginning passage for you. If you would stand as an act of worship as we read God's Word, as you follow along as I read this. 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith as the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence to your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." Thank you, Lord, for your word today, and thank you that as we look briefly at this letter of Second Peter, as we survey it this morning, as we introduce it, that we would be gripped by the fact that uh, Peter uh, lived in an era that is not too much unlike ours, even though separated by centuries and oceans and cultures, and yet, Lord, you have much to say to us through this short little letter of Second Peter, and we pray that we would be attentive this morning in Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen. And amen. One of the key words that we find in Second Peter is the word to know, the verb, or knowledge. Peter refers to it some 16 times. And uh, oftentimes, uh, we think of knowledge as strictly book learning, and uh, that's obviously part of it. We have to be exposed to different things to learn about those things. I am the son of a son of a son of an engineering family. My father, his father, and his father before him were all engineers, and uh, somehow I broke the mold, and uh, I think it's because I couldn't pass calculus. I think that had something to do with not being an engineer, Uh, but uh, so I have some rudimentary knowledge of some of the processes of engineering. One summer I worked... Uh, for my dad uh, drafting, and that's before computer-aided drafting. That's when you actually used pencils and T-squares and rulers and all of that. Uh, And so I had some rudimentary knowledge, but it was simply an intellectual exercise for me. And I really didn't have a lot of interest in it, but I did learn some things about engineering. But it wasn't experienced. It was not put into life, even though my father tried to demonstrate to me how important engineering is, and I do appreciate it in, in life. Uh, and that's the idea that Peter has here And those 16 occurrences in this just two pages of of a letter, uh, he is emphasizing the fact it is more than intellectual knowledge. Yes, that is important, but there's an experiential understanding of what you learn intellectually. And then that comes out and flows out in real life. And so Peter is writing to remind the believers and to introduce them to this whole concept of knowledge because it is so important, especially in their context. In their context, he was writing to encourage the readers. I've got a, in the back of the, the bulletin insert. There's a contrast between First Peter and Second Peter. First Peter, remember, he was talking about cultivating hope in a hopeless world. Well, in Second Peter, he is he's talking about faithful living in difficult times. And it seems like they both fit in the 21st century for. Christians around the world. We are living in a hopeless world, it seems like, and we are living in very difficult times, and some in more difficult situations and dire straits than others. And we think of Christians in Iraq and in Syria and elsewhere, in Indonesia and perhaps in the mainland China. There are believers who are experiencing more adversity and difficulty and persecution. And uh, so Peter is writing to encourage him, and he's probably writing to the same group of people that he wrote to in <clears throat> in 1 Peter, because in chapter 3, verse 1, he said, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Uh, he also talks about reminding us about the importance of thinking about our mind, about exercising how we think about life itself. I just watched a little video clip this morning before I came of Rosaria Butter, who is it? Butterfield, yes, thank you very much. Uh, she's a pastor's wife, but she was talking about uh, the great uh, the truths came, coming out of the Reformation. You know, solo Christus, Christ alone. Solo gracia, grace alone. And uh, she went on to those, but she says, we live in a culture and in a day and age where it's solo experientially. In other words, our experience determines truth. And my experience, since it's different from your experience, gives me a whole different set of truth concepts. And that's what we have in living in a plural society, in a world like we live in today. And so where does the truth lie? Well, thankfully, for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that he has given us his word. He gives us his Holy Spirit to lead us in the truth, and he teaches us truth. And we gather together, and we study the word, and we gain this knowledge. And then the knowledge, the intellectual part of it, we apply and we use, we experience, and therefore it becomes real to us on a day-to-day passage version. And so Paul, uh, Peter, excuse me, was writing to encourage his readers to respond properly in the midst of opposition in First Peter. And in Second Peter, it's the internal opera, uh, opposition. There's this aspect there was poison in the pews, if you will. There were false teachers, and Peter spends all of chapter 2 warning believers about the false teachers who are coming into their midst. And it's not just unique to the first century in the Middle East either. It is with us today. There are false teachers who come into churches and seek to destroy, divide, and corrupt the truth of God's Word. Uh, When I pastored in the upper Midwest, uh, there there was a cult-like group out of uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who came up, and actually two of the guys who I was discipling left and went with this cult-like group, and they were false teachers. They were uh, heretics, but here he is talking about the issue of apostasy, those who fall away from the faith who are probably not saved to begin with. So in this introduction of chapter 1, Peter uses the classic form where he introduces himself first. Today, when we write a letter, we sign our name at the end, but in this day and age, they would identify themselves right up front so you know who was sending you the letter. Simon Peter, and then he describes himself as a bond servant. The word actually is could be translated a bond slave of Jesus Christ, and an apostle, an apostle, which was his assignment from Jesus Christ himself. He was the one that was sent out, one with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he introduces himself, and then the audience, we find, to those who have received the faith, the same kind as of ours. So believers, and it could be a mixture of Jewish and Gentile believers, we don't know, but uh, if he was writing to the same group, they were in, scattered across northern Turkey, uh, what is presently uh, modern Turkey. And so he's writing to them, and then he gives a blessing in verse 2, grace and peace, which is a a Greek and Hebrew uh, blessing, you know, grace and peace. Uh, We could say uh, charis and uh, uh, shalom, and he's greeting them, and he says uh, to them, grace and peace be multiplied to you. And we want multiples of grace and peace, don't we? That's what the human heart longs for. We want to have that unmerited favor from God. We want to have the peace of God. And until we understand and grip the grace of God, and I appreciate our brother Isaac's emphasis on grace because it's that unmerited favor, and and none of us have anything to offer, none of us have any ultimate skills or talents or anything without God's grace, his unmerited favor. And so he says, to have that grace, to have the peace, you must have the grace. And then he says it's sh- to be multiplied. He's wishing it upon them multiplied to you. And how is that multiplied? In the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. In the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Uh, that's the key word in this uh, little epistle is the word knowledge. And it describes a special kind of knowledge, as I've said, that experiential kind of knowledge in chapter 1 we are just doing a survey today we're going to go all the way through all two pages but very quickly we'll just hit the high points this is like uh, just seeing the mountain tops uh, across a range of mountains uh, but the believer's nature it can be divided into four things in this or four divisions in the second peter in this letter and the first one is the believer's nature the second one is the believer's nurture the third one is the believer's nemesis or his op- opposition And the fourth one is the believer's hope. And so in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, is our nature, and it's the work of God. It is basically God's work in each one of our lives, which transforms us, changes us, it's His faithfulness. And there's the fact of the divine nature given to the believer. Look at the divine power in verse 3 of chapter 1. In verse 3 of chapter 1, seeing that His divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. There's that word again, uh, who called us by his own glory and excellence. And so we don't need to pray for power as believers. His power is given to us each day in a mul- in, in, in multiple way that he's given us the power, our problem is that sometimes we don't appropriate that power. We don't depend upon that power, and that could be traced back to our lack of knowledge of God's powerful character, his sovereignty, his providential care of us. And so there is divine power, and he gives us this divine promise in verse 4. For by this he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you would become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And so that is our nature. It's the work of God, and we participate with Him. And so that's the fact of the divine nature in every believer's life. And then in verses 5 through 9, we have the function of the divine nature, and we see a progression in verses 5 through 7, which are the characteristics of that function. We have eight characteristics here, and in the weeks to come, we will unpack these, and we will look at them individually But it's like a global positioning system. Uh, I'm late to the GPS world. I finally got one for my pickup so I can find my way to Soap Lake when I have to go. (laughs) I just like looking at the screen, you know, and sees the little thing going down the line. And I brag about how good of a driver I am because I stay right on the line on that GPS. (laughs) My wife doesn't believe me. So... Uh, But a global positioning system lets us know right where we're at and right where we're going. You can program it a number of different ways. And in a sense, these eight characteristics are like a global positioning system. They're the waypoints that direct us to where we need to be. And we're going to unpack those in the weeks to come. But there are eight of those characteristics and then there are consequences when those things show up in our lives. This is, those characteristics are somewhat like a, a tape measure, a yardstick, the GPS, somehow to measure how we're doing, how we're doing individually, how we're doing as a church family. And we'll be looking at those things. And then there's the finality in verses 10 and 11 of the divine nature. Look at verse 10 with me. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain of his calling and choosing you, For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And there's this finality of the divine nature. He gives us everything we have. The Apostle John mentions this fact that we are in Christ, Christ is in us, and Christ is in the Father, the Holy Spirit indwells us. It's like this protective vault in that sense that nothing comes into our lives without first going through the sovereignty and the caring, all-powerful hand and the love of Jesus Christ and God the Father. And so that is the believer's nature. In chapter 1, verses 12 through 21, how do we know this? How do we know this? Well, the believer's nurture is the Word of God. God is at work in us, and He gives us His Word, and you hold copies of it in your hand. And in this country, we are privileged to freely own as many copies as we want. We can carry them with us. We can read them. Uh, But uh, there is the memory of God's Word. Look at verse 12. Therefore... I will always be ready to remind you, there's that mind thing again, of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Uh, I often uh, think of my my responsibility and, and my privilege of preaching the word of God. It is really more of a reminding ministry, because especially in this country, we are awash in Christian resources. You can get on the Internet, just type in a question, and you'll get a ton of answers, some pretty good, some pretty bad. But uh, you've got to be discerning in that. But we have a lot of resources. Uh, some of you who are older like me, you've been in church for many decades, and you've had good teaching, you've had good Bible studies, you've had exposure. And oftentimes, if you're like me, I get, I'm forgetful. And I need to be reminded of the truth of who and what God is. And so it's kind of reminding ministry, and that's what Peter is doing here. He is nurturing us through the word of God and reminding us in the memory of God's word. We go back, remember, remember, remember. And then uh, there's the majesty of God's word. Look at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Uh, you know the Bible is always under attack, and of course every Easter uh, the major news organizations have some article about why the Bible shouldn't be believed. And yet there's the majesty of God's word. There's the meaning of God's word. In verse 19, look at one chapter one verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made sure to which you would do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. It lights our pathway through life. And so that's our nurture, the believer's nature, Peter talks about. It's the work of God. The believer's nurture, the word of God. And in all of chapter 2 is the believer's nemesis. It's the war of the false teachers. And here is where Peter gets very serious about the Christian life and what we face. And he talks about deliverance from false teachers. He begins with our deliverance in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Uh, In verse 2, chapter 1, but false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who who, uh, bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. He talks about the exposure to false teaching. And all we have to do is, you know, get on the internet, turn on television, turn on the radio sometimes, and if you're not discerning, you can get false teaching and depending on what you read. And then he gives us examples in chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, of historical examples, and he talks about the angels, the fallen angels. He talks about the ancient world before Noah, how the ancient world was judged. And then he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and how it was judged. And so that's historic judgments. And the Bible is always good. God is always good about reminding us that all his promises, his prophetic declarations will come true because many have already come true. And then he explains divine deliverance for us in verse 9 of chapter 2. In verse 9, he says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for that day of judgment. So chapter 2 serves as a warning to us, the reality that there is false teachers out there. And he describes them in chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. They are rebellious, they're animalistic, they're deceitful, they're chronic sinners, and they are mercenary. And he uses Balaam of the Old Testament out of Numbers 22 as an example. Remember, Balaam was mercenary in his viewpoint of God, and he would sell his prophetic gift if he could have physical material gain. And it took a donkey uh, to turn and talk to him to get his attention. So we don't want, if you don't want your donkeys talking to you, okay? Uh, deliverance from false teachers, description of false teachers, and then in chapter 2, 17 through 22, the destruction of false teachers or by false teachers. They target and want to destroy the church, they use techniques and they terminate the termination of the destruction. We look at chapter 2, verse 20. Verse 20 down there, it says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. And uh, so there is destruction by the false teachers, the apostates. And he quotes Proverbs twenty-six, eleven in that. So the believer's nature, the believer's nemesis, and the believer's nurture, and finally the believer's hope in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is all about the hope we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We remember, look at chapter 3. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of remember, reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and commandments of the Lord and Savior, spoken by your apostles. And of course, there are scoffers, and we live in a day and age of scoffers, don't we? And uh, in chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, the scoffers scoff that Jesus will ever return again. And yet God guarantees it. Remember these verses in chapter 3, 8 through 9? But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What a powerful verse that our God is so merciful. When we look at the world situation, when we look at ISIS, when we look at uh, all the problems in the Middle East, and we look at the, the injustice that seems to surround the world, we look at our own country, and yet God is so merciful. He's not willing. He's not, his will is, His desired will is that none should perish, but all would come to repentance, to salvation. And then Peter describes in verses 10 through 13 this new heaven and this new earth. And so we will be looking at these things over the next several weeks, unpacking these verses passage by passage or paragraph by paragraph, and looking at a number of these things. John Ortberg, you may be familiar with John Ortberg. He is a writer and, of course, a pastor and a preacher, but he was writing about an example he had. He was at a street fair with some friends, and there was one of those mechanical bulls at the street fair. You know, the ones you pay and you can get on and see how long you can last, if you can do the eight seconds. And uh, he went up to the to the mechanical bull, which is uh, to try to uh, buck people off. And the guy who operated the bull said, uh, watching it ne- nearly isn't as fun as riding on it. And uh, so John Ortberg er- said, uh, I told the bull operator I wanted the ride. He looked one he took one look at my middle-aged body and said, "Are you sure?" And uh, John Ortberg said that guaranteed that I would not back down. <laughs> he explained to me that the bull had 12 levels of difficulty. It might not be easy, he said, but the key is to stay centered on the bull and you have to follow the bull. You have to shift your center of gravity as the bull moves and so John Ortberg got on this mechanical bull and it started out pretty slow and then it started going faster and faster and bucking around and uh, he was holding on really tight he said and then he remembered the advice so he loosened up and tried to keep his center of gravity over that mechanical bull I was by the end of the eight seconds he said I was hanging on sideways my arms were tired and flailing all over the place I just hung on and the the bull finally slowed down and the buzzer went off and I'd made the eight seconds and I was still on the bull. He said, it wasn't pretty, but I made it. And I imagined how surprised the operator of the bull would be that I had triumphed over the bull. And I looked over at him and he looked over at me and shaking his head, he smiled and said, nice job. That was level one. And that's somewhat like the Christian life. You know, every experience we have, every time we grow in the knowledge and in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we think we're making good progress that might still be level one. And so for us to pay attention to what God is saying, to grow in the knowledge and exhortation of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in this word. I would challenge you this week to read Second Peter every morning. Uh, before you start anything else, it's only, like I said, It's in my Bible, it's two and a quarter pages long. It doesn't take you long, even if you read it very slow, and I would encourage you to read it every day this week, and that will help you get your head around what the content is and where we'll be going, and it'll raise questions, and if you are one to take notes, you might jot down your questions or your observations, and that way you can hold me accountable when we come back together and we start Uh, preaching out of the letter of 2 Peter. Let me pray this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word this morning.